Hello, CFL fans. My name is Jack, and welcome to another episode of the world's only independent CFL podcast called No Fair Catch. Today, I'm just going to be talking about a couple things. Uh, the uh, the most recent CFL committee meeting uh, in Toronto. Uh, in addition to that, the uh, bit of a scandal that uh, came out in the NFL last week with the, uh, the New Orleans Saints uh, bounty crisis, as they're calling it now, uh, and its impact on the CFL and uh, really football everywhere because it was a big story uh, that really made an impact across uh, the entirety of North America and everywhere else that football is played. Uh, before I get into anything, though, I'd like to just quickly congratulate um, two Canadian players who retired this past week. Uh, these were veterans um, in the CFL who have been playing for uh, for many, many, many years. This is uh, Augie Baranachea, uh, formerly of the uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, who's just retired. Uh, he played linebacker and fullback in his career uh, so from uh, 2004 to 2011. And uh, Brent Johnson, uh, defensive end for the BC Lions, he spent his whole career with the BC Lions, uh, tallied something like 85 sacks uh, over his 11 seasons with the BC Lions. And, I mean, these guys were both uh, big, big Canadian contributors uh, who were very valuable to both their respective teams. And, you know, a special congratulations to Brent Johnson, who, uh, you know, not only is he walking away from the game on his own terms, which is something that's rare in the CFL or any football organization, uh, but he also uh, leaves the CFL as a champion who just won the game at home, the game of his dreams uh, at BC Play Stadium where he played his whole career. Special congratulations to him. That's a phenomenal story. Um, next, I want to just talk about the uh, the CFL uh, Board of Governors meeting that took place. Uh, the CFL Rules Committee uh, made a couple changes to the CFL rule book that I'm giving a big thumbs up. Uh, the CFL uh, is is taking the uh, the NFL policy uh, that was instituted for the, uh, the 2011 season down south, and that is that all scoring plays will automatically be reviewed by the replay booth. And that's not just touchdowns. They're talking about field goals, converts, safety touches, rouges, everything that the CFL has to offer in terms of scoring. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, and now I'm going to be getting into the other uh, officiating part of the game in my podcast next week. Uh, it's going to be a longer podcast. It's going to be a little bit more emotional uh, on my part because, you know, the CFL officiating uh, has always been suspect over the years. Uh, however, uh, my favorite quote from this week was uh, Tom Higgins, the, uh, the head of CFL officiating, uh, saying, the uh, that scoring has a huge impact on the outcome of football games. Uh, I don't have the exact quote here in front of me. I'll have it for next week. But I thought that was great. You know, as if there's you know things other than scoring that necessarily can win you a football game. Uh, you know, I would argue that you know scoring points uh, is not only a significant part of the game, but it's it, it's the entirety of uh, of of a team's uh, attempt to win a football game on any given uh, in any given game that they play. Uh, but uh, you know, whatever. Well, let that sit for now. Uh, so this change I really like. Uh, some people have been criticizing it because it will slow down CFL games, which are already long. Like oftentimes, you know, TSN books off three hours of their time uh, to dedicate towards a CFL game. And in the past years, we have seen games run over that three-hour mark. But to be honest, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, like some people complain that you know. Uh, the 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 following game, uh, if it's a double header, it gets pushed back. Some people complain that, you know, different things happen. But personally, I don't have a problem with it. I feel like if you can take the time to get the calls right, it's worth it if the game goes over by a few minutes. It totally is. Uh, these these athletes are paid uh, uh, a very good money, and this is a multi-million dollar industry. And for a game to be decided on a wrong call is atrocious. It makes me sick to my stomach. We saw that last season when Montreal played in Winnipeg. The goal line stand was called wrong, 
and it completely changed the outcome of the game. Uh, the previous season in 2010, we saw the Montreal Alouettes visiting the BC Lions, and the refs completely botched the last play uh, that the uh, the Montreal Alouettes ran. Uh, it didn't count when it was supposed to, and that completely changed the outcome of that game. And it just makes me sick to my stomach when that kind of stuff happens. It's no good for the fans. It's no good for the players. Nobody likes it. So let's take the time. Let's get it right. And, I mean, uh, again, I'm going to be talking more about the officiating next week. Will the actual reviews get reviewed properly? Well, that remains to be seen. They don't always get get reviewed correctly, even when uh, things go to the booth in Toronto. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, at least, hopefully, this should uh, help the calls get get made correctly more often than they won't. Um, secondly, uh, the uh, the rules committee approved two more rules. Uh, that is, if a ball carrier's helmet comes off during a play, the play is blown dead immediately. Again, this is something that the NFL adapted in 2011 that I really like. I like us copying that. That was a good rule. That was that was, that was a good thing to put in place uh, because it's dangerous. You know, we've seen, I think it was Corey Boyd this past season, uh, lost a helmet, and then it creates an awkward moment when he starts taking off after he loses his helmet because the defensive players can't necessarily let up. They don't want to let a, helmet, a helmetless player uh, you know, run for a touchdown on them, so they can't let up. But at the same time, them not letting up is going to lead to somebody getting hurt eventually. So I like this play, uh, or, so, or rather, I like this this new rule. It's going to help a lot of uh, running backs stay healthy, or, or necessarily ball carriers, not always running backs, but ball carriers in general stay healthy, and it, uh, it creates the uh, an opportunity for the defense to uh, not become uh, demonized if they are going after a guy who has no helmet. Uh, secondly, uh, there's another rule, which I like and don't like, <laughs> For the uh, for for a very specific reason, but that is uh, when a non-ball carrier's helmet comes off, that player can no longer participate in the play. If he does, the player is penalized 10 yards for illegal participation. And any player on the opposite team who decides to make contact with a player who has already lost their helmet, they get a 15-yard penalty uh, for unnecessary roughness. And I like this I like this rule rather because it does again create more safety in the game. Uh, but at the same time, you know, last year we saw that amazing play where Gord Hinsey of the uh, offensive guard for the Edmonton Eskimos uh, took off and threw two blocks uh, without a helmet. And uh, it's such an amazing clip. I'm sure it's gone viral on YouTube. I haven't actually checked it out. But I'm sure if you find it, helmet, type in you know helmetless bearded offensive lineman running around like a maniac, and I'm sure it'll pop up somewhere. It's a great clip, and uh, it was a great moment for an offensive lineman to finally get some recognition uh, for some of the great hard work that they do on the field. Uh, but with that said, I, I do agree that it creates some new safety in the game. Two big thumbs down I want to give to the director's meeting is the uh, the new rule uh, that was not passed, and that was a proposed rule that they're going to be uh, looking at next year. They tabled it uh, for the 2013 CFL uh, meeting, and uh, and hopefully when, the, when it passes the, uh, the future season uh, that follows that meeting. Uh, but the rule that was tabled was a rule that would allow coaches to challenge pass interference calls, and that is both defensive pass interference and offensive pass interference. Now, the main reason that this was not passed was because they were worried about what would happen if a coach challenged defensive pass interference, and instead of seeing defensive pass interference, the referee saw offensive pass interference in their review. Do you then apply a penalty to the other team? Because that becomes a 30-yard uh, difference. You know, if, if you're giving a team, you know, 15 yards of, of, of uh, forward yardage and then suddenly taking it back, and not only that, but also adding another 15 yards of additional negative yardage to the offense, that would be a big swing, and they weren't sure exactly how they're going to deal with that, uh, so it didn't pass. But this is a rule I would love to see in the CFL in future, uh, future seasons. Uh, the CFL is without a doubt a passing league uh, and 
it's sad again because it just shouldn't be this way in a multi-million dollar industry where fans are so invested in the games and there's so much on the line in every regular season game because after all there are only 18 regular season games every game counts uh, this isn't baseball where you can take whole series off and it won't actually apply really a whole lot uh, to where you're going to be in the standings CFL 18 games every single game matters uh, to try and get your playoff position uh, look at just look at the east you know if you want proof of that look at the east in 2011 we saw uh, Hamilton Montreal and Winnipeg uh, finish on the top three spots in their division uh, with virtually no split amongst all of them I think there was a couple games between Hamilton and uh, Winnipeg and Montreal who were tied for first uh, but at the same time, it really could have gone anywhere uh, up until the last couple weeks of the season. Uh, so the standings are tight, and when games are decided by referees, it drives me insane. And fixing this rule, or at least allowing coaches to try and challenge pass interference calls, I think would alter that uh, a lot and go, go move at least make movement towards rectifying the issue of pass interference calls deciding games, because that makes me sick to my stomach stomach uh the second thumbs down i'd like to give is the coach of the year announcement taking place at the board of governors meeting in the canadian football league uh big congrats to wally buono for winning the 2011 cfl coach of the year award however it drove me crazy knowing that he was going to win the award at least uh, you know the speculation was there from the end of the season that wally Bono was going to win it uh no one was really giving paul Apolis or cavis reed a chance not necessarily because they didn't do a great job with this past season with the uh, blue bombers and eskimos respectively uh but rather just because because Wally Buono was able to turn an 0-5 team around in such amazing fashion to win the Grey Cup at home, no less. Um, however, I, I think it's a detriment to the league to wait so long to make this kind of announcement. Uh, people have forgotten about exactly what's happened in the season. They've forgotten the details by March. Like they, We're not talking even about you know waiting a month to announce the coach of the year after the season is done. We're talking about waiting five months. Like The, se the season ended in late November, and it's now March, people. Uh, CFL, you really need to start making that announcement earlier because the CFL is not in the forefront of people's minds. Right now, people are concerned about the hockey, uh, the NHL playoffs uh, that are going to be fast approaching soon. Uh, I think this announcement is something that should be made uh, in December. You know, maybe don't include it with the player awards because you don't want to make that announcement before Grey Cup. But don't wait five months after the season is done to make that announcement because, you know, I don't think this announcement got the media attention or the appreciation from the general public that it should have, uh, especially given that this is Wally Buono's last season as a CFL head coach. And someone so legendary who's won so many Grey Cups and has so many accolades and so many, uh, so m who've had, who, who's also groomed so many great head coaches. Let's not forget that. There's so many coaches in the league uh, who have worked under Wally Buono in one way or another. And somebody who's given this much to the CFL deserves more. Uh, make this announcement in December. Don't wait till March. That's just silly. Lastly, I want to talk about the bounty crisis that uh, took light in uh, New Orleans this past week. Uh, if you haven't been following the news, the uh, the New Orleans Saints of the NFL, uh, recently it was discovered that they had a bounty program set up amongst their defense uh, that was uh, a brainchild of the defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, uh, though the rest of the team was in on it, uh, including head coach Sean Payton, who before this incident uh, was truly seen as one of the angels of the NFL, uh, a really uh, just not only great coach, but also uh, extremely uh, 
extremely uh, well-respected person uh, was said to you know be one of the most kind, respectful uh, people in the entirety of the NFL. Uh, but he knew about it. He wasn't his idea, but he knew about uh, what was going on and didn't put uh, didn't make any effort to stop it. And that was Greg Williams had a pool of money uh, set aside, and if any of the players on the New Orleans Saints uh, were able to injure an opposing offensive player, that is a, an offensive player on another team that they were facing on that given Sunday, uh, that player would be awarded. I think it was a thousand dollars, and uh, if the player who was injured was injured badly enough that they had to be carted off the field, then that payment went up from a thousand dollars to to fifteen hundred dollars. And once this news broke, there was all kinds of conversation on Twitter. I think the strongest comment came from Arash Madani, who said, "Quote: This is one of the darkest days for pro football. A franchise has undermined the foundation of the game at its core. Sickening, a disgrace." End quote. Those are some very strong words. In my opinion, that's a little bit over the top, a little bit melodramatic, but I would definitely agree uh, with Arash Madani uh, in what he is saying, at least the gist of what he's saying. Um, any team who is trying to injure opposing players um, or, or even going as far as to reward players for doing so is really troublesome to stomach for me as a fan and somebody who uh, would consider themselves to be a small part of the uh, of the media team that goes that works towards uh, covering uh, Canadian football or football in general. And um, something that really disturbed me that actually th this is a tweet that disturbed me more than the original news breaking. Uh, but it was a tweet that came from uh, Troy Westwood, uh, formerly of the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, if you remember Troy Westwood, uh, he's probably, you know, aside from being a decent kicker and punter, uh, probably the thing he'll be most remembered for was the uh, the Banjo Bowl quote that uh, that later named uh, that uh, Labor Day Classic rematch on the prairies between the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Saskatchewan Rough Riders, uh, where he stated that all people from Saskatchewan are banjo picking inbreds. Uh, but he tweeted uh, that um, what the Saints did, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but the sentiment of it was what the Saints did uh, with their bounty system on their defense is not an uncommon thing uh, for pro football. And to me, that's him in a very innocent type of way. That's his way of saying the Bombers also employed a bounty system during the late 90s and early 21st century when I was a member of the team. And, uh, you know, I can't prove this, obviously, but I have a hard time seeing why a player who only ever played for one team over the course of his entire uh, lengthy CFL career would tweet something like that unless uh, his own team was guilty of doing the same thing. And, uh, and furthermore, like we know that Canadian Football League players are a very tight-knit group. It really is a culture unto itself. Players are friends. They train in the offseason. And uh, obviously players talk. Um, and if Troy is sending out a tweet like that, I think that not only means that the Bombers have employed a similar system, uh, but also, in fact, other teams in the CFL have employed a very similar system. And, um, you know, uh, as somebody who just does a podcast and, you know, from the comfort of my own home, I don't necessarily have a uh, I don't necessarily have a personal uh, opinion on this because I am not a football player. I'm not somebody who takes the risks that normal football players do. Uh, I'm not putting myself out there. Uh, however, there are things in my life that I've worked very hard to get, and I think everyone can relate to that. And, you know, for a football player to go through uh, the years in college, um, and not only that, but the years in junior high, high school, and then college, of all those years um, working out as hard as you can, pushing yourself to learn about the game, develop instincts, 
uh, and just become the physical uh, phenomena that uh, so many of these athletes are. You know, when you see uh, somebody like Dwight Freeney uh, running around uh, like a maniac at six foot four, two fifty, the way he can. You know, you can't do that unless you're first of all physically gifted, and then second of all. Uh, You've, uh, you know, you put in the decades of work that he has to to accumulate that muscle mass and that bo- that muscle tone and uh, the amazing physical abilities that uh, that he has when it comes to the vertical jump and his speed and his strength and everything like that. Uh, you know, you think of somebody like Cameron Wake being the same way, uh, somebody like Philip Hunt, who just recently went to the NFL the same way. Um, if I. I think for players working that hard who have who have put in the time and the effort and and are working their very hardest to one day realize their dream of football for for those people, uh, you know, to be in a culture where other players are rewarded for potentially ending their careers, uh, where their whole chance at ever making a living doing this is shot, where their chances in some cases of even just trying to live a normal life after football, whether they've suffered concussions or they've suffered you know, very severe leg injuries that are hindering their ability to, uh, to walk properly or spinal cord injuries that are, that are uh, you know, inhibiting their abilities to ever walk again. Uh, you know, for things like that, I don't know how I would personally be able to stomach that because um, you know that players on the offensive side of these teams know full well that their defenses are employing these types of systems, and maybe even the offensive uh, offensive players have a similar system as well. You know, offensive linemen, there's things that they can get away with in the trenches uh, quite easily just because the referee's eyes can't always be there, and that's certainly not where the cameras are, right? You know, uh, we very rarely see uh, what an offensive lineman does on any given play uh, unless they give up a sack. That's really the only time we ever see what they do. On the inside, you know, offensive centers can really do whatever they want because simply you're not going to get any film on them. They're never going to get on the airways. And uh, the referees can't always keep an eye on every single uh, offensive lineman in every given play. So, you know, this is just a long-winded way, I guess, of saying uh, that this is a very disappointing thing. And... Um, you know, there's nothing that I feel like I can do or even any fans can do uh, to inhibit this kind of thing happening in the future. Uh, the truth is it's just a disgusting thing that's apparently a part of the culture, a part of the game. And, uh, you know, if you ask me and I think if you ask uh, virtually anyone else uh, who uh, does commentary about football, whether it's Canadian football or American football, you know, I would have to say that this needs to stop as soon as possible. Um, it's disgusting and it. uh You know, it's potentially hazardous uh, for a lot of people, um, for those people who play the game, uh, for those people who enjoy watching the game, and um, it truly does undermine the game itself. Uh, You know, it's a multi, again, like I said, it's a multi-million dollar industry in the States. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, You know, the NFL is one of the few um, uh, economic... um, economic uh, corporations that is doing well in a time of uh, huge economic uncertainty and downturn, especially in the United States. And it really is too bad that this kind of thing is going on. Um, I would expect uh, that the NFL is going to be doing more investigations into uh, the rest of the franchises down south. And I would hope that uh, at the next Board of Governors meeting, uh, like we were talking about with the rule changes happening uh, this past week, uh, that they uh, they use the time that they've uh, 
uh, that, that formerly was used to announce Coach of the Year and instead decide to do some investigations into exactly what's going on in the CFL teams. Because personally, I would worry about this kind of thing happening in the CFL even more than the NFL. Why? Well, because for somebody like Jonathan Vilma, who's been starting at middle linebacker for the Saints for so many years, who makes millions of dollars per season, I don't think that an extra $1,000 in his back pocket is going to be you know, what motivates him to take a really dirty hit on an, on, on an opposing running back. However, for you know, a CFL kid uh, who's making you know, $40,000 a year, uh, you know, taking that extra shot uh, to try and injure somebody for an extra 15 grand uh, you know, that he can send back home to his family or you know, use to buy a new television set, something like that, money that really is you know, something that he needs uh, to live, um, that that's worrisome to me. I think that might be more of an issue in the CFL than the NFL, simply because players up here need the money. So, I mean, it's a troubling issue, and it's something that I hope the CFL looks at with very uh, with with a with a high level of seriousness uh, to address and hopefully fix. Um, if it is still prevalent in today's uh, CFL culture, which I don't know for sure if it is or not, but I would suspect it is, uh, just given the nature of the game and given the uh, the way that uh, especially Troy Westwood uh, spoke out on Twitter. And I give him credit for doing that. You know, I think uh, there's probably some uh, old playing friends of his or uh, even some people in the Bomber organization that wouldn't have been very happy that he sent out that tweet, uh, given the implications that it uh, it definitely hinted towards. Uh, but, um, you know, I give him credit because it takes uh, it takes somebody speaking out uh, for any problem to, uh, to begin uh, uh, forming resolution. So I give him credit and... Um, I'll leave it there. Uh, I'm uh, next week. I'm going to be talking about CFL officiating, uh, so you can expect um, a longer podcast and certainly a more angry podcast. Um, but uh, you know, I'll try and uh, keep my wits about me a little bit more next week um, because I will uh, have trouble restraining myself and myself in some uh, in some regards. But with that said, uh, thank you so much for joining me this week. My name's Jack, and this was another episode of No Fair Catch. Thanks. Have a great day.